Hey friends, welcome back to the Mill Spouse Mastermind Show. Over the last several years, the ways in which service members and military spouses and their families connect through deployments has drastically changed. During my first deployment as a military girlfriend, I remember getting to talk to my now husband about 15 minutes once a week. And as internet connectivity has increased, families are able to stay connected a lot more frequently. But what does this actually mean for military members, for their families, and for the way that we actually engage in war? John Spencer has written a new book that explores this very topic. It's called Connected Soldiers, Life, Leadership, and Social Connections in Modern War. John is the chair of Urban Warfare Studies at the Modern War Institute at West Point, the host of the Urban Warfare Project podcast, and a military spouse. So in today's episode, I talk with John about deployment, both from the active duty perspective and from the military spouse perspective. We talk about why connectivity matters, why we need each other, ways to stay connected with your spouse, and Who really has the toughest job during a deployment? We also talk about John's life after the military and his journey of leaning into his passions, finding a unique niche, and making the most of the opportunities available. I think you're going to find a lot of value in today's episode, so let's dive into the show. made for more. More than the managing of schedules, keeping up with kiddos, and holding down the home front. Welcome to the Mill Spouse Mastermind Show. I'm here to help you navigate life as a military spouse. Get unstuck and craft a life with purpose. Hi, I'm Christine, a military spouse of over 10 years, mom of littles, and coffee connoisseur. You have something valuable to offer, and when you pursue the things that light your heart on fire, you trade frustration for fulfillment and isolation for a life of impact. If you feel stuck waiting for some future season to chase your dreams, then it's time to discover who you are meant to be because together we can change the world. Well, I am so excited to have John Spencer on the show today. John has written a new book called Connected Soldiers Life leadership and social connections in modern war. John, you have the distinction of being the first male guest on our show. So congratulations. Would you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my, uh, that's such an honor, uh, by the way. Uh, my name is John Spencer. Um, I'm both a retired army major. I served 25 years in the U.S. Army. I'm straight out of high school as a private and worked my way up and listed in officer ranks. Um, and I was a dual military family. I retired in 2018. So now I'm a military spouse and my wife is um, the sole military person. And we have three kids, 10, eight, and six. And she's our wonder woman, our superwoman, uh, and we support her. Um, I still work actually with the military and, and have a podcast show myself and, um, really enjoy being able to be that military spouse, but also support her and continue to work like I know lots of military spouses do. Uh, and I wrote a book and I'm really excited about um, talking about what, what I poured my heart into that, that book and what it's about. 
For sure. So tell us a little bit before we get into that. What What is your podcast about? So yeah, I'm actually, I, I, me and my wife were both teaching at West Point um, during my last assignment. She was teaching psychology. Actually, she has a, a degree in child psychology, so she can tell me how much I'm messing up my kids in things I do sometimes. Uh, and I was teaching in a, in a military department. Um, before I left the military, I started focusing on studying urban warfare. So now I, I am still the chair of urban warfare studies at the Modern War Institute. And I know that's a mouthful. Um, with the United States Military Academy. So I, I'm almost like a research professor, and that's what I do. So I, I just study urban operations and combat in cities. And really, lately, I've been really busy, unfortunately, because of what's going on in Ukraine. So I've, I've been doing a lot of work and a lot of actually news and uh, CNN and things like that, um, explaining what we're seeing, unfortunately, um, in Ukraine when Russia is in their invasion. Speak a little bit more about that. What what are you learning? What are you observing right now? Sure. So as soon as the actually uh, interesting um, how things happen, right, right place, right time. As you know, even with the military, you never know what's what next year will look like. Um, when the war happened, I, I was you know, working on urban warfare, um, and I saw what was happening with Russia invading the country, and it needed to take the capital city. So I actually got on social media and started tweeting about the war, and and really because this war was a little different because they were asking their civilians to resist. I mean, we saw pictures of grandmothers with AK-47s and, you know, people that we just don't want to see having to fight, but that they were fighting for their survival. So I started tweeting based on my own research. I'm like, look, if I was in a city and I needed to defend it, um, and some of those tweets went viral, like over 20 million views, and, and, and uh, I started getting requests for information, and I even put together a little a little mini manual for the urban defender that was then shared by the Ukrainian government out to their people. Um, I'm so humbled by it, but then it, of course it got me the, the CNN request and the MSNBC request as you, Ukraine was fighting for their survival and in, in, in their civilians, everyone was helping. And it's actually surprising what people don't know about warfare, but it, it shouldn't be, but it was a little bit surprising. And I was actually, um, amazed at the the attention that some little pieces of information I was giving out, not based on being a professor at West Point or anything, but as a matter of fact, I got told to not say that. Uh, but just as an American citizen who served in the military, like, hey, look, if I was there, I wouldn't be standing out in the open, right? Because they can see you from above and, and things like that. So Russia tried to take the capital city, which is what you have to do when you're invading a country. Think about Afghanistan for us in, in 2001, you had to get to Kabul, uh, Iraq, which I was a part of the invasion as a platoon leader in 2003, we, you had to take Baghdad. It, it's If you're going to take a country, you have to take the political seat of the government and switch it out if that's what your goal is. So we saw Russia do that and it failed, thankfully, and, and the Ukrainian government or the military and the people helping push back Russia. And now Russia's decided on trying to take Eastern Donbass and that's where we are as we we're speaking. Russia basically completely failed in the first two months of the war. And now they're trying a feeble attempt to grab the East. So I'll be on CNN International tonight talking about how I think that Russia is going to fail even to do that. That's so interesting because when you just start doing things that are on your heart, what your passions are, and you just never know right time, right place, what doors open up. So talk about your interest in urban warfare. How did you kind of get into that niche? 
Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, uh, one, I started getting into writing, which I have a huge passion for, um, really at the end of my military career, because nobody really told me that. I wasn't part of my mentorship. as just wasn't part of my job. I was constantly doing and trying to do the job and really reflection and writing and wasn't something. So when I was at West Point, I started writing um, and I wrote a piece about my experiences in Iraq. I served twice. And I actually met my wife in my second deployment in Iraq. And I wrote a, an article about the use of concrete in the Iraq war as we use concrete walls, especially in the urban areas. Well, that you, know, you respond to the, to the moment. So I wrote that article, a, a very short article, and it went and it was another viral moment. So they got shared by like National Geographic Education, like all these people that didn't know for the you know 11 years or so or eight years that we were in Iraq, mostly you were putting up concrete walls, basically making gated communities around people that you were trying to protect or around markets so they couldn't blow them up. For some reason, I, which is kind of our military where we really don't know what people don't know, but the world did not know that we put up millions and millions and millions of concrete walls and that's how we really achieve security. So that started the urban, really the urban bug. Uh, and then the fact there was nobody doing it, right? So just like in business, you find a market and all of a sudden you find that, whoa, I'm, I'm the only person in this field. Uh, and then you work hard to, to, to rise up in that field. So I became really within a couple of years, and now I've been doing it for almost 10 years, like one of the biggest urban warfare scholars, as in somebody who does research in it, not just having experience, because there's really not that many people in the world that do it. And that's such a great example of just really figuring out, hey, wh where do I see a problem and where do I see holes? And like, nobody's focusing on this and how can I be a part of addressing that and being a part of the solution? So talk about the inspiration for your book. Yeah, so it really goes back to that moment where I was trying to write. So I, I, was, I, I was in a place... Um, where I was writing a lot and, and, and found the benefits of reflection and almost uh, therapy that it gave me, like that somebody was listening to a story I had and they were interested in it. So in 2015, I wrote a, uh, an article about how I thought social media was changing the things that we did as soldiers while we were in combat. And the, the stories of like Band of Brothers and you know, these great movies that talk about the bonds that are formed with soldiers while they're fighting in combat. Um, it's still true, but I had observed something in 2008 while I was a company commander that, man, they're spending a lot of time online, which is a good thing. But then they were also not spending that much time together. And there was a moment where um, actually we were on a, unfortunately, one of my platoons was on a patrol and, and a bomb missed them and killed an Iraqi child. Very traumatic to all of us to see that, um, as you can imagine. And, and that night, I I went to go find the soldiers who had seen that event and who helped respond to it. And, um, and I couldn't find them. They were all in the internet cafes talking to their families about what they had saw, which, which is, you know, both a good and a bad thing. But, um, so I wrote an article about it and submitted it to the New York times on a whim. Uh, and, 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 and basically I got an op-ed in the New York times, which I didn't know at the time is like winning the lottery. Um, and I've since wrote, a hundred articles toward and given them and they've all been no, but that one article uh, is called the band of tweeters in 2015 was about how so I thought social media um, in this instant connection in the, basically the, the blurring of the lines, there is no more disconnect between the soldier when he goes off the war and the family, how it was 
had both positives and negatives. And that drove me because I got two book offers after that. That's what happens when you write a New York Times op-ed. You get book offers, you get sometimes movie offers and things like that. So I had two giant book offers. Unfortunately, at the moment, I, I didn't know how to write long form. I was just write, getting into writing articles. So I, you know, they wanted a 5,000 word book proposal in, in a month and I just couldn't do it. Um, so I started, that started the idea of the book and I knew I wanted to write about, and this is what my book contains, uh, about my 2003 deployment as a, as a platoon leader jumping into combat um, with an airborne unit in, in the invasion. And there was complete disconnect. And we literally like, said goodbye to our, 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 our wives, our husbands, whoever. And then it was like three months before we made a phone call. And then even then it was very sporadic. And then I compared that to my 2008 experience where, you know, Facebook every night, phone calls, um, the problems of home migrating to the soldiers and the soldiers, what they were seeing in combat, migrating home. Um, and then I wrote those two parts of the book and really sat on it for a while. Um, and it wasn't until 2018 when my my wife deployed to Kuwait and then she was in Afghanistan and Iraq and I was at home. So I was on the other end of that with our three kids at the time were seven, five, and three as the military spouse with my partner um, deployed and basically, you know, what that was, it was the last experience I really needed to, I think, to write this book about how I think connectivity ha has changed the, the combat experience for both good and bad reasons. So in my book, I talk about the transition to this moment and then the positives and, and potential negatives, if not watched by, by all of us. So would you talk a little bit just about the stepping into the role of the spouse and, and how it was different from being the active duty member out there on deployment? Yeah, so I, I write about it in the book and I try to be as, I mean, it's a vulnerable book, to be honest. And I, I put all, I'm sure I made mistakes. Um, I thought I was ready, but you, you, know, you really never can be ready. And we didn't. My wife is amazing and she tried to do everything to prepare me um, everything from teaching me how to make meals I don't know how to make or things that I, we share, we try to share a lot um, and, and, and approach is teamwork. So she did everything she could from trying to prepare me and the kids, but some things you just can't prepare for. But I was trying to take it on as almost like a military you know, mission. Like I'm going to have a schedule. That's going to be our saving grace, uh, you know, with young kids, even that doesn't work out very well sometimes. Um, and I tried to be flexible, um, but some of the prep stuff you just can't be prepared for about them dealing with the experience. Um, you know, I tried actually to be empathetic to her. My 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 wife was gone, trying to think that I understood what she was going through on her end, even though both times I was deployed, I was a single um, guy. So there's a lot of reflection there too on the mistakes I made as a commander and a, as a leader in the army, not thinking through what the soldiers going through with their family back home. So I tried to hold things back from her. She, she told me really quickly that, that she didn't want that. Uh, she wanted the good, bad, and ugly of the daily um, events of home. Um, so she actually had to coach me even, I'm trying to let her be the soldier, right? Do your mission, I'll take care of this. Uh, and that's kind of the way I, I wanted it. And that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be a, a part of the everyday. And, and so when I stepped into the role as the, the home provider, um, she was still trying to help me, even though I'm, in, I'm trying to 
help her as no one thinking that I've, I've been through that. I know it. Um, she's only been through one deployment. I've been through two. Uh, and, and I got, I got schooled and the things went bad. Of course, with emotionally dealing with her being gone, even to myself, uh, I thought I would be ready for that. And it hit me like a ton of bricks um, more than I thought it ever would. And then you know, just like a roller coaster, but we were a team the whole time. Uh, I found things that I needed here that as stepping into the role as a spouse, I'd never thought I would need um, other people. So a community. So mine was my, my gym. So I, I belonged to a CrossFit gym, even though I, I thought I was really faddish when I was in the military, but I needed that group of people just to talk to every day. Um, and we did you know, an exercise for an hour together, but I was taking everything I could out of the 10 minutes before the class and 10 minutes after the class of just getting some type of adult relation, you know, understanding of the challenges. Cause there are plenty of other spouses in my class that are full-time, you know, work and full-time spouse. Um, so those were all kinds of things that I could never have foreseen being the soldier, you know, I'm going off to do my thing and, you know, try to stay in, involved with the home front. So I'm curious, which, aspect did you think was harder being the one on the front lines or staying home and taking oh, care of the family oh my gosh oh my gosh no way it's always 100 percent it, the person staying home from every sickness to every question where there is no answer to you know, my three-year-old like mommy's car she, mommy's home like my mom's not home for another eight months and not being able to you know the, the, the when i was deployed you know the mission was always clear that what needed to be done was always pretty straightforward even though the you know the the enemies and things like that oh man it's it's a thousand times harder being the person home you have one thing to focus on when you're deployed versus everything when you're trying to be both parents staying back oh my gosh the un the unknown right so we practice a lot as a soldier about controlling even the unknown and being prepared for it when you're to stay at home there's so many unknowns that hit you in a day that you just can't be prepared for. You have to be prepared for the un, you know, everything. That's that's true, and and we don't get the same type of training. If you are the spouse that is taking care of the home front, you're just kind of, you know, it's it's like doing anything with the military life for, for the first time. Your first PCS, the first going through a deployment, you don't know what you don't know until you've been through it and you walked through it, and and. The more that you do that, the the more you build up those muscles. Um, and I think it was very interesting. You know, I think when we talk about how much we communicate with our spouse that is serving, that is on that deployment, like some people want to be really informed. And sometimes the spouse staying back is like, yes, tell me everything. And sometimes they're like, don't tell me I, what I, only what I need to know, right? So it kind of just depends on learning your person and how much information they want or don't want to hear. Would you talk a little bit about this concept of connectivity and, and what were some of your big takeaways? Yeah, so as I saw the transition of immediate connection from, from the soldier to home, even when they're trying to control it, I mean, soldiers yearn to talk to home. Um, so while I was deployed, it, it became, you know, is a big part of morale, right? So we, even on the, in, in the soldiers, if, if something happened and one time we had our base kind of blown up and the command leadership's like, you know, get the internet back up. It's, it's really important to the soldiers to be able to talk to home. And that's kind of natural. But then I, there was this constant tug of, 
yes, I understand that, but we have to, we have to do these things together. Um, so, but then your messages start coming in as well. Um, so it, it, it was so day to day on the way that the connections between home and the, the battlefront or the deployed soldier, you know, it helped in keeping morale hall, high, trying to, you're dealing with some of the homesickness, um, sharing the home experiences while deployed, but also I don't think I was ready as a, even as a deployed soldier dealing with other soldiers, which is what leaders do, right? We deal with our soldiers' problems and help them in any way we can. But some of the, the stuff that was just so immediate, like you know, my girlfriend is overdosing on drugs and I can't get to her, and that I never thought that it's kind of like when we're home, right? Soldiers deal with lots of life problems. I just wasn't used to now this connectivity, bringing it all together where that person who's going outside the wire now is thinking about every, about that day's problems at that moment. And it's really hard to get them focused back on, okay, like you said, do this job, this one thing now. Um, and we'll, we'll help you deal with the home as soon as we get back. Um, and then, as I became the, the person at home, I also didn't understand how that connection now that it's, it's 24 seven, I could, we FaceTime with my wife almost every night, unless she was just not, not possible. Um, and I saw a transition as, as a family where you really wanted it and, and they all fought for time. And as they dealt with the social emotional issues of, of being away from your family member, um, they started that, transpired to show in the technology where you hand them the ipad and like hey talk to mom no i don't want to uh and how hard my thoughts are how heartbreaking that would be to me if my you know who they're living without me and i think that was my why my wife's fear in what she hoped technology would help do is not don't forget me you don't don't create this new normal without me um to the point and there's one moment that really and it's in the book and it really shook me you know, my, my wife's huge on family traditions. I mean, she has created so many traditions for our families. Uh, and it's, I didn't have that as a child. So it's important to use from, you know, getting clothes on the Easter bunny brings you both candy and clothes, you know, things like that, that I'd, I'd never got. So I, you know, as a person staying home, that basically that's all on me now from the wrapping presents to making sure the family traditions hold. But for Christmas morning, my wife wanted an iPad set up in a chair with and she woke up at like two in the morning so she could be there. I just never thought that I would imagine that day of having like a futuristic chair with mom's face there and she's deployed. But every kid is basically opening a present from Santa and bringing it up to mom and saying, look, look, this is what Santa brought to me. So it felt really weird. But then also understanding that it basically crushed my wife missing that moment. So when she hung up, she had a real hard time and, and she she gets on me for talking about in the book, um, but it really crushed her to miss that moment. And I don't know if the technology would have allowed more of a compartmentalizing, you know, of course she'd be sad, but to both be in the moment, but not be there as well. And I'm a, I'm a f pretty firm believer. Like we know that the virtual helps, right? And, and COVID even helped teaches that, but there's some things you just can't replace virtually without, with, you know, with the physical, there's some, physiological benefits of physical touch, your presence and things like that, that sometimes in what the, this book is my own exploration of that on things that we have to keep doing as a, as a group 
in in the soldiers and as the family, even home, um, where the virtual helps. Of course, it does. Communication is like you know, number one in any relationship. Doesn't matter what it is, but how to preserve the physical that we all need. And that moment about Christmas morning really, again, shook me, but also is like a realization of the future almost. For sure. And I think this is one thing that COVID has taught us a lot is that being in physical proximity with people is just not the same as trying to do everything virtual. There's so much benefit. You know, there's so many more jobs that have been open to military spouses just because of virtual employment. And, you know, it's great you know, us being overseas and being able to connect on video with extended family, but it's not the same as physically being in the room with somebody. At the same time, I think back to like the first deployment when my husband and I were dating and we got like a 15 minute phone call every week and just how far we've come since then. Um, So what are some of the ways that you've seen to help mitigate some of the um, downsides of this connectivity. Yeah. So one, you know, it, it really, you know, this when, when you're deployed, it makes you appreciate so many things that you just um, sometimes forget to appreciate. One aspect of the, that you, that reminds me of the, like, I'm not the old guy, like, Oh, you know, never be the same. And then we need to go back to, you know, take, take it away from them. You know, whatever it is, the world has changed. Everything has changed. Um, but, something that I discovered during our, this last deployment, this, what you can call a connected deployment, um, the physical um, reaction that our children had to something in the mail. It, when they got something that mom wrote with their own hand, it meant more than daily communication through FaceTime. And it, it almost speaks to the, mm. the physical aspect of our, our social nature, right? So the, the children teach you a lot of it. They don't, they, yeah. They, like I said, sometimes they're like, ah, I don't want to talk to her. Uh, they wanted that physical piece of paper. So writing letters, which there has been a lot of research on because of electronic communication, the way we talk to each other changed in war, right? So you used to write these long letters trying to explain to our spouses and our families what we're seeing. With the immediacy of communication, you know, the actual studies have actually shown that the the what is actually being said has changed. It's shorter. It's less explanatory. It's more like, "Hey, how are you?" Um, it's more. Um, it's different. So I learned that that aspect of actually writing something down or drawing pictures, and I used to send you know, box up you know all the school stuff you know what they do, uh, and I would put it in a box you know, like every three or four weeks and send it to her. And I know it meant something to her to to hold something physical. So that, that was a big aspect of it. Um, and then as a soldier, it was it was kind of almost the opposite, right? So it wasn't, it was that there are moments when you, like that moment with the, the, the Iraqi child that died where you need to come together as a group and talk about it in person. Um, and then later go to your, 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 of course, your social support networks, your, your wife, your loved ones. And if you want to talk about it because you're, you're trying to cope with it, right? So the physical presence is important on both sides. So I don't know before writing the book, I really understood that. So even after hanging up with mom, um, having a conversation with the kids about you know, still even having to re have more conversations about what does it mean that mom's gone and how much longer until she comes back and how do you feel about that? It, it's almost, it's like almost identical to the experiences that I had in 2003 as soldiers experiencing some 
stress. And this is all about, you know, military spouse or military families is dealing with the different stressors and there can be so many, um, but we figure ways and there's things that we can do. So when there's a soldiers deployed and they experience combat, they come together and it's a part of the coping to talk to each other about it. Um, so it's almost like on both sides, the, the solutions are not new, they're old. It's just not forgetting that we still need those. We still need to talk to somebody else that we um, think can empathize or and sympathize. Uh, for soldiers, it's another soldier who just experienced the same thing with them and talking about, yeah, that really messed me up. I, 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 and, and that's okay. So for me, as my kids, and, and I messed this up, uh, to be clear, for, for a while until I understood like um, what the right questions were, were to ask the kids. You can... They were presenting problems in different ways. Each kid was different. Um, so their personalities were different. So they were presenting kind of their social emotional challenges in different ways. So I had to figure out how to you know, both be present uh, and then to basically drive them to talk about what they were thinking. And I wouldn't say, I won't say like feeling, uh, which is, you know, that's hard to say, like, how do you feel? But to talk it out almost. So it's, it's a solution that's always been there but sometimes while we're deployed as soldiers, we forget that that's was, it's almost the linchpin of surviving what they have to do in combat. And now as a family member, like I now know it's, it's, it's almost the same on this side. It's, they have, it's about communication and communicating through this stressors that, which can be daily. Like, you know, you, there's great days and then there are really bad days. Uh, and both of them requ- should be talking about them. Uh, what I call breaking bread. So we have a, we've always had a tradition in our family that, we eat dinner together. Um, and if it's if something happens, of course, in you know, the military job, and that isn't possible, but it's electronic free, it's you know, book free, it's, you know, there'll be nothing else on the table, and we just have dinner together, which is also ancient to, to, to soldiers and fighting. They sit around the campfire and eat together. It actually has emotional, social benefits, what, what, I, what I would call breaking bread together. So what would you suggest you know if you have if you are the in the deployed unit and they are spending so much time communicating with people back home how are they building that connectivity with each other like did you do you have specific uh recommendations for how you're building that physical connectivity with people that they're with yeah absolutely we call it bonding so it's called cohesion and i kind of break that part in the first part of the book like what is this magic sauce that we talk about is the band of brothers effect is what I call it. Um, we in the military know that if you do hard training and hard exercise together, uh, or you're in a firefight together or experience some massive amount of stresses together, it bonds you to the other person. Um, it, um, it's, 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 it's called shared hardship. And we know that that works that, that, so that hard training, the exercising together, things like that is all about this you know, how hard you can you make it? And then you experience it together. It's called shared hardship. So that's always been known. But what's another thing that's been studied is that just mindless hours together in boredom, talking to each other about their, your families, your likes, your dislikes, um, builds as strong as bonds as does the shared hardship. So that's, you know, everything from a coffee club to a book club, it's bonding actually what's happening. So for the soldiers, it's, it's you have to create those moments. So is it a technology-free conversation after going outside and doing your job? You know, for me, I'm an old infantryman, so it's it's going out of the wire doing a patrol. But you know, lots of jobs in the military. Um, it's 
it's designing those hours of time together. And one of the recommendations for like today's army would be when they come back from a patrol, we, we have things that we do, like we take care of our vehicles, we take care of our weapons. Um, and I think, and you used to sit around the campfire. Now you go back, you go to your room and maybe get on your, your computer. You have to, you, you honestly do have to force that moment of um, sharing together, talking together. Uh, so that's, that's an aspect I think that sometimes people will start to forget about. Um, but that is more important in binding people than the shared hardship in, in my, in research, really. So I'm curious if you took that concept of the boredom, the connectivity, what would be your idea for military spouses, for those who are, are holding down the home front? What, what ways could we better physically connect with others when our loved one is gone? Yeah. So there's, you know, there's so many programs that the military tries to do this, right? With our, we have the family readiness groups, the the coffee clubs, the book clubs. I'm such a huge fan because I think there's a physiological benefit to exercising together. Um, I, I, and that was my saving grace during this deployment. One, it's really easy to, to get so busy that you, you basically, we're more connected today than we've ever been in history, but we're also more alone. Because we, again, we think that these connections are in place of social support networks. And they're not. You still need to get together regularly, daily, even. Um, so, based on wherever the situation there that we are in or you are in, it's finding a group. And literally, historically, it, it needs to be more than five people together every day doing something together. Um, whether that's walking the dogs together, meeting at a park and doing a play date together, that one hour of conversation with another group is human nature. It is part of our, um, from cavemen till now, it is needed in to be healthy. It really is. But I know from my own experience, like I'm driving on, I'm picking the kids up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do dinner. I'm going to put them to bed and then we're going to repeat tomorrow morning. Uh, Like I just don't have time for that. Um, So the scheduling it every day for my my CrossFit workout had nothing to do with the workout. It was literally, that's an hour of bonding time with other adults. So there's so many different forms of that and the military tries to help with that, but it doesn't, it can be, you know, individually created almost. For sure. Um, And I love, because this is what we talk about, one of the main foundational components of the show is is this idea that we are better together and we need each other. Now, I'm curious where the idea of five or more people came from. Was that like a research study or how did that idea come about? Yeah, there's some research to it. There's some research to, um, it's a little bit in the book, but it's a proximity to, there's there's a maximum number to it too. So there's a maximum number about 50 that you can know everybody in the group. So it's really fascinating. And some research, some people won't say is as longitudinally studied, but yeah, it's from, uh, from basically psychology, psychological research that a, a group of five or more are, are more connected than you know, and this is outside of almost what they call the family group, right? So of course you're going to be bonded to your brother, sister, mother, brother. Um, but when you're talking about a group of friends and things like that, um, it, it's it's five, and then it maxes out around fifty, which is really weird because that's for us around the, uh, an, an, an army company is about forty to fifty personnel. So the numbers really weird. But yeah, it's there's some research in there. 
Would you talk for a minute just about this process of writing your book? You you said you had to learn how to write long form content. Can you talk about just that journey of learning to write and then putting this book together? Yeah, it was it was definitely. Um, so I learned how to write short articles of eight hundred words first, which some people say that's harder than writing longer. Right? If I had time, I'd write. I would have written you something shorter from Mark Twain. Um, so I had to Google how to write a book, honestly, and had to watch YouTube videos about how to, how to structure a book. And there's actually a way, there's a, a W pattern of ups and downs. And uh, I tried to do a lot of research about writing a book specifically because I knew exactly what I wanted to do, right? And there's, there's different forms of long form writing. And then I had to, um, and there's many ways to do this, take like stickies and put together individual stories that met my overall theme so i really went to about it really systematically and it was still a challenge to be honest um so uh, you write a long book or a long project by writing a bunch of small ones and i took that to heart so i wrote you know i once i i I wrote out each chapter that would fit to the overall theme of this connected world that helped neck it down a lot but it still took me three years, to be honest, to put it all together um, to where I was, you know, I thought I was good enough to show somebody. Um, and, and to be honest, I had to, I took a lot of criticism. And to this day, I still did. It was a challenge to, once I wrote what I wanted to write, because I wanted to, I wanted to write my book. I didn't want to write a book that I thought somebody else wanted to read. I, I wanted to tell the story I did. And I actually did it differently than even some of the research or the, the guidance gave, right? Because my book's about three different time periods, right? It's 2003, 2008, 2018, because I wanted to show the differences and, and tell it through a memoir. And that didn't, that got probably a hundred no's out of the one yes. But that's it, believing in what you're doing. So if, if, you, if someone believes in what they want to do, that um, they have to have the courage to take, not take no for an answer and, and keep doing it. I mean, you have to be open to feedback. And I was, and I saw, and I wrote a, an article about why I write too. Um, nothing I ever published had I not shown somebody else first because that feedback is what we all need. So even in my book, it, you know, I got four different people to give me feedback and lots of changes and everything. So there's a difference between taking feedback and then not taking no. Um, so I wrote a bunch of short chapters that become a book. Um, and then sometimes you got to move things around to eventually it, it, it became what it is. And then it goes, I had to get a book agent, which is its own challenge. Um, and then the book agent had to help me find it a, a publisher. Uh, so I've learned so much about the process. Um, and like like any other thing, once you learn it, it's a lot easier, right? So each step, though, I we live in this connected world where you can build a house by going to YouTube. So I literally went to YouTube on how to write a book. And then I went to YouTube on how to find a book agent. Uh, so the, I, we actually live in it where it's very powerful, right? The, the information is very powerful. Well, and you can do whatever it is that's on your heart. It's like open to you now. What would you say you learned about yourself through this whole process? So I learned a lot because I had never, I'd been in the military for 20 plus years. And I never looked back. So I was always busy on doing, like doing whatever it was in that day, that month or that job. So I learned a lot to include mistakes I made, um, by taking time to do reflection. And, and some people had told me growing up that that was important, right? Even journaling, uh, uh, which is important, right? 
um, I just never did. So once I decided to try to do this, I learned a lot, even trying to remember things that had happened, um, which is its own thing. If you don't write it down, then it's really hard to remember it. Uh, I learned a lot in reflection about where a lot of moments where I was really struggling and maybe I should have paused and sought help and I didn't because I, I had grown up to not that seeking help was bad, but to be honest, it wasn't part of the identity I had had at the moment. And I talk about that in the book a lot where I, you know, I had what's called um, imposter syndrome. I didn't think I, sh I was the guy for that job. I didn't know what I was doing. And in reflection of writing the book, I learned like that, that was a, and somebody even one of the feedbacks I got from one of my reviewers was, this is a lot about you um, and you being vulnerable uh, so I learned a lot that, you know, this big, strong guy was, as I look, even look back, maybe I didn't even believe it. I was vulnerable and scared a lot of the time. So now you have this book that has finally made it after all these years, it's coming out. What does that feel like? Oh, it's, it's surreal to be honest. And it faced so many challenges, especially with COVID, like slammed every market. Like we ran out of paper or you got to wait another year. You ran out of paper. That's something you don't think is going to happen. No, uh, but it happened. And it, it's, it's a, so it's so almost the flip sides of the coin. It's so relieving to have it done, but it's so, it's still to this day, even though it's, you know, it's lots of people have read it and, and did reviews for it. I still have this amazing sense of vulnerability on how the world's going to receive the story. Because, it, it, you know, some people are going to like, you fear that somebody's going to judge you, but it's it's a very vulnerable memoir. Uh, so I'm really anxious to to get the response. And you 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 love when people tell it's great, um, but it's still you're putting yourself out there. So it's very so vulnerable. But it's such an amazing feeling to have it done, and and then already start to receive like, oh, this is amazing. It reminded me of this or that, and and that's my hope, right? That is that it helps somebody else in the things that I'm saying and. To get that from even people that have reviewed it, like the, it has to go through this big security review, right? Everything a military guy, a person writes has to go through a big security review, even if they retire. And the reviewer who reviewed it sent me a note going, I, I don't do this often, but I just wanted you to know that this is, it really made me think of my own career and, and the challenges that I faced. And that meant a lot to me. For sure. I mean, it's always, you know, anytime you're putting yourself out there, you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone, you're engaging in an activity that is vulnerable, sharing, sharing your heart, sharing your experience. Um, it has the potential to help other people, but it definitely takes courage to be willing to put yourself out there. So kudos to you for doing that. I'm excited for you to have this big accomplishment. How can our listeners uh, connect with you and, and find you in all the places? Sure. So I have a, a website. It's johnspenceronline.com where the book can be bought. You can buy an autographed version of it. Um, I'm also big on social media, so on, <laughs> which is funny. I wrote the book Connected Soldiers, but I'm on Facebook on John Spencer Online and really big on Twitter at Spencer Guard. So those are some of the main places. Well, thank you so much. We uh, really enjoyed this conversation and uh, best of luck to you. Thanks so much, Christine. <laughs>
I hope you got a lot out of that interview. John's book comes out July 1st, so look for it in your favorite bookstore. I will have all of those links in the show notes below. But before we go, I just want to let you know that the Mill Spouse Mastermind Clarity Challenge is coming back this July. Now, what is this? About a year ago, we hosted a 30-day Clarity Challenge inside our Facebook group. Every day for 30 days, I have one journal prompt, a question to get you thinking about who you are and what you want out of life. It's called our 30-day Clarity Challenge. You can answer the question in our Facebook group or use it as you journal to get greater clarity on yourself and what you really want out of life. So I just want to let you know that that is coming. That will be available. If you are not already a part of our Facebook community, you can find us by doing a search in Facebook or just by going to millspousemastermind.com forward slash community. I hope to see you in there continuing this conversation. May you have an amazing week living filled, fueled, and full of joy. Hey friend, before you go, the Mill Spouse Mastermind community is here to help you thrive as a military spouse. Figure out what lights your heart on fire and equip you to create a life of impact. You can have an incredible impact simply by heading over to iTunes to subscribe and leave a review. And if today's episode was meaningful to you, I know it will be for others too. Spread the word by taking a screenshot of this episode and share it to your stories so we can continue to reach more people, change more lives, and shift the way that military spouses look at life. Because we are better together, and together we can change the world. Let's do it.